This episode of Arizona Spotlight is supported by De Grazia Gallery in the Sun Museum. For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a unique support group for people living with aphasia resumes meetings in person and kicks off a creative new awareness campaign. I'll talk with business partners Monica Lane and Randy Dorman to learn about their new project that will celebrate Tucson's designation as an international city of gastronomy. And Stories That Soar brings us a true story about a family road trip where the destination is the Old Pueblo. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Aphasia is a language disorder, one that is usually the result of a brain injury or a stroke. It's estimated that there are 180,000 new cases of aphasia each year in the U.S. alone. But it's a condition that often eludes wide awareness because aphasia can make those who live with it literally silent. The Friends of Aphasia is a group in Tucson that offers support and therapy for those living with the condition. During the pandemic, their twice-weekly meetings that are a vital social connection for the group members had to happen online. Dr. Fabi Hirsch-Cruz is the CEO and Director of Clinical Services at Friends of Aphasia at the Aphasia Center of Tucson. She invited me to visit last Saturday as the members reunited there in person for the first time in over a year. Yes, so June is National Aphasia Awareness Month, and one activity that we've decided to do to raise awareness is to do Aphasia Awareness Rocks, which is a rock painting activity. We have a lot of our group members here at the Aphasia Center painting rocks that we plan to put out into our communities with information to let people know about aphasia, then our group members will be taking them home and putting them out in their communities. Could be that they put them just out in front of their homes, out in a park when they visit a park, somewhere where somebody else might find it and be intrigued. They're doing a beautiful job there. And on the back, there's information about aphasia so people can learn more by going online and posting on social media. So about how many folks do you think are here today uh, participating in the, in the rock painting? I think we have about 20 to 25 people. So we have group members and family members who have accompanied them. And so the group members are people who are living with various stages of aphasia. Yes. So our group members all have aphasia. That impacts them in different ways. So everybody's living with very different difficulties with respect to speaking and reading and writing. I think this might be my fourth time visiting here, and there's always new faces, um, new people to get to know, new stories. Well, this is the first time you all have collected in this place for quite some time. Yes, so this is our first time back in person at the Aphasia Center of Tucson. So it's a little surreal because we see all the things on the wall that we left in March of last year. We went on spring break and we have not come back until today. It feels very 
surreal. But we also have members here today who we've never actually met in person. So it's, it's very exciting to meet people, to be able to show them the center and to show where they'll be coming in the fall when we're actually back here at the center for our in-person groups. So coming back here into some of the rooms where members and their friends are painting the rocks, uh, I run into someone that I know from previous uh, interviews about this subject, and that's our friend Rona. So say hello and let me know how you've been doing since the last time we saw each other. Good. Thumbs um, up? Yes. What would you say is a strategy that helped get you through the pandemic? Oh, no. Um, so Rona's using her phone to communicate and, ah, food. <laughs> <laughs> Cooking? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And have you gotten into the bread thing yes. with half of America? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm not a cook. If I have to do more than open a package, I get irate. <laughs> oh no. I know. It's terrible. Bad habit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else have you been doing? Um. Um. Riding the yeah. Yes. So the group members know each other's activities so well yes. that Mark was able to say, riding my track before yeah. she finished typing <laughs> it. Um, so you go out in the desert and you ride around, you wear a helmet. What kind yeah, of safety um, precautions do you take? Um, um, the loop, yeah, right, yes. right. The city has provided this mm -hmm. place for people to ride yeah. and skate, yeah. Nice. Well, how does it feel to be back in the center? Good. <laughs> Is it a little bit like uh, going into a, an empty house yeah. and memories start coming back <laughs> yeah. and things? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. How long yeah. have you been a part of the group, Rona? Um, Three years? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I've known you then since you started pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me, and I'm yeah. glad you're back in here uh, together. Now you can get back to doing what hey. you are best at. Thank you. Yes. Um, I'm in, it's Mark Weichel. How is it that aphasia first came into your life? Oh, I had a stroke six years ago. Was the aphasia an immediate result? Of yes, uh, <laughs> immediately. Because I think about the scenario of waking up and literally not yes. being able to communicate. Yes, right? I can still remember I had the ability to talk. And the doctor said, uh, oh, my, he, he uh, um. Did he think that it would get better, was the initial diagnosis? No, uh, I thought I would. Have you gotten better well, since? Well, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I saw the musician, and I sought to sing. You're a musician, so you tried to sing. Uh, da, 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 da. I can sing. I can do it, uh, but very slowly. Mm -hmm. the, the <laughs> well, would you say the, it's easier for you to read music than to... Oh, no, no. To not read. S sight reading. Yes, yeah. uh, that that is gone. Uh, I can... You can play by ear, though. Yes. Uh -huh. What is something you've learned through being part of the group, though, that you don't think you would have discovered on your own? Oh, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that understand this. 
Dr. Fabi Hirsch-Cruz then took me to another classroom to meet some newer members of their group. Would you start by introducing yourself for me? My name is Deborah Harding. Well, let me ask you, if there's someone who's listening to this radio broadcast mm-hmm. who either has aphasia mm-hmm. or they know someone, what kind of advice would you like to give? They really need to come here. I mean, you have to because it would help them so much. A lot of people just sit at home. They don't do anything. They don't know what's going on, but they need to go because before I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk or anything, but look at me now. <laughs> so what's your reflection on how Deborah's been doing, Fabby? Deborah is just a delight, as you can tell from the moment that she walked in the door. Deborah does a lot of work on her own between therapy sessions and coming to groups. We've set up a lot of homework activities. And when she recently went back home to see her mom, she didn't have internet. So she wasn't able to do her homework because she does a lot of homework. Fabi told me that one of the things you've been working on is place names because you've lived in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. Florida, now Tucson, Mm -hmm. Phoenix. Mm -hmm. So what's a way that thinking of names has gotten easier for you? Usually, I don't say anything until I know exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. You wait until you are able to recover the word, and then you, you can go with it? Mm-hmm. What about singing? Baby, baby. When you're singing, the words come to you yeah. easily? I think so, yes. Yeah. You know, but, but it's still, but it's still it's, the biggest thing that I want is I want someone, I have my computers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm, if I'm at home, I can have it, and I start writing to yeah. write, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I want. And that goes easier for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, but, uh, but, um, but she, she's wonderful. Dr. Hirsch? Mm-hmm. I think, I think what, what I'm going to end up doing, I'm going I'm to have her. <laughs> yeah. Help her do what? Whatever she needs to do. Oh, okay. You're going to put some time back into the center. Yeah, absolutely. Could you please introduce yourself for me and tell us something you'd like people to know about you? Hi, my name is Kathleen Barker, and I am as alone as can be with my uh, Veja. Except for the group. And now you're physically yeah, here. I know. I I know. This is a lot of people. I, yeah. I've never been as, as a, um, the, a phase as people. But I, I, yes. So Kathleen was a hairdresser, which involves talking all day long yes. to lots of different people. That's right. Yeah. So aphasia can be particularly difficult when that's, what you relied on. It's a, it's a rough, rough thing to wake up to. And so I, as I, I said, well, I got to make a choice. I got to get up and go and just stay here. Okay, I'm going to get up and go. I can't not dig it up. What I am able to do is, is listen. Hey, this aphasia group is, is a wonderful group, wonderful group. And I have to give you credit for just being so brave. Oh, because <laughs> if I was struggling to get the words out and I wanted to convey to somebody how frustrating aphasia is, I don't know if I would be brave enough 
to volunteer to no, talk I, to somebody yes, on the radio. Yes, and I I would I would try. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, yeah, because I wanted to be free. I wanted to say hi, how are you, and to giggle and laugh. And just, I'd be the first one waving hello. Yeah. And that's what you're like in the groups too. You're always saying hello and laughing. You laugh is very yes. distinctive well, in the groups. That's important. This phasia is, is so sad because there's not enough people that will want my. And yes, you don't even know how many people. Thanks to everyone at the Aphasia Center of Tucson for sharing their day of reunions and creativity with me. There are more stories about the Aphasia Center of Tucson and links to contact the Friends of Aphasia on the Spotlight page at azpm.org. Only two cities in the United States, that's Tucson and San Antonio, Texas, share a special honor with 34 other cities around the world. They have all been honored for their local food history and unique cuisine by being named Cities of Gastronomy by UNESCO. That's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, a special agency of the UN that's aimed at promoting world peace through international cooperation. Tucson received the title of City of Gastronomy in 2015, but it's taken a while for that to be leveraged in elevating Tucson's global status. That's what motivated friends Monica Lane, owner of both the Clifton and Citizen Hotels, and fellow real estate developer Randy Dorman. Their goal is to create a gastronomy headquarters that will celebrate the taste of Tucson. It was really interesting for me because I had an operating hotel. Um, When we got that designation, I would have guests come to the hotel and they would say, well, I'm here because you have the City of Gastronomy designation. Where's the restaurant I go to? Where should we see? What do we eat? What do we do? And they would often come back having gone to some random restaurant and just say, well, the food was all right, but, uh, you know, why do you have the designation? I was able to, you know, explain that city of gastronomy has to do with our long agricultural history and our um, culinary diversity and the food biodiversity and, and the food shed and all of you know, the language that they use. Um, But that's really, as Randy Lake says, that's abstract, that's opaque for a lot of people and is very hard to understand. So when she approached me with this idea to make that concept um, of a gastronomical heritage real and tangible for people, it was, I know that there's a demand for that. So I was really excited to participate. So word got around pretty quickly, but Tucson itself wasn't really ready for the attention. Mm -hmm. Randy, tell me more about the idea. What can people expect to see happening over on Broadway? As Monica said, the designation is so important, but a little difficult to understand. And so a few years ago, I had thought to myself, how could we create a place where people could really come and experience everything that's made us a city of gastronomy? And basically really trying to amplify the designation, make it really accessible for both Tucsonans and for visitors and leverage it to elevate all of Tucson. That's really what that designation should do. We were the first city in the United States to get that designation. That's extraordinary. There are only 36 cities in the whole world with that designation. So in order to do that, we had an idea to create um, a restaurant. We think we're going to call it the residency. That's right. Yes. And (laughs) uh, it will have a core staff 
But every eight weeks, we'll have a different city of gastronomy designated chef come in and create a special menu really focused on the foods that made us a city of gastronomy. And we hope that this becomes a place where local chefs can flex their culinary muscles in a way they may not be able to do in their own restaurants. And we also want this to be a way that Tucson can connect to other cities of gastronomy. So we'll be inviting chefs from the other cities of gastronomy to do residences as well. We'd like to think of it almost as theater. So the chef will come in and program the menu. We'll have a preview night, an opening night, a closing night. The nights in between, our staff will take control of of that menu. And it'll change every eight weeks so people can really experience our heritage food in so many ways. We want to pair that with some other offerings. So we, of course, will have a bar because what is a great restaurant without a bar? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) And we'll highlight local spirits as well. What are some of the biggest challenges that you're anticipating on the road to these goals, Monika? Some of the challenge will be finding the right language to actually use um, to to talk about what we're doing. But fortunately, um, we are working with and taking guidance from the Tucson City of Gastronomy Board uh, itself, the organization, to help us use the language that they've already created. Even more fortunately is we have the language of food, the language of drink, and the language of place to do that. So when we talk to other people about this, everybody goes, ugh, you know, they hit their head at such almost an obvious idea that it strikes as, dare I say it, Randy, it strikes as brilliant. And I think that expectation is going to be hard to manage. People are so excited about it. And in hindsight, it seems so obvious. There's going to be high expectations for how we perform and how we deliver and how the chefs do that as well. We've been grateful and overwhelmed by the positive response to the concept. So we're trying to honor the opportunity Well, let's be specific about the location we're talking about now. And I'd like you to tell us about some of the achievements that you've made so far on your road to bringing this to reality. We were awarded the project three and a half weeks ago. And the biggest achievement that we have so far is that we were able to get inside the building. (laughs) We were able to crawl through the hole in the fence and get into the buildings uh, to see the interiors. And so I, I say that jokingly. But um, it's seven historic bungalows that were moved out of the way of the Broadway widening construction. So where were they moved to? They were moved back just Mm -hmm. a few feet. So on the same block, um, but their facades were going to be destroyed by the construction. So uh, Renuevo acquired them and had them moved back out of the way so that they could be preserved. And it's part of the whole Sunshine Mile district. And the idea of preserving these historic structures that have so much character and authenticity, it would be very easy to just tear them down. But then you lose all that character, all that history. You lose that sense of place. And so everything that we're doing, we're trying to really experience this site. We spend a lot of time there just walking around, figuring out what should go where, what feels right, imagining it reactivated. Who are you partnering with at this point? Because a lot of what you're talking about seems like it's so tied into the Mission Garden Project. In fact, we are speaking with Mission Gardens because we'd like to have edible landscaping. Um, So we think that would be so lovely for people to be able to come and pick a pomegranate or for our chefs 
to have, you know, fruit trees and other, um, all the heritage food plants that they have at Mission Gardens. So we're speaking with them, obviously, the Tucson City of Gastronomy. We have um, contacted the University of Arizona, and uh, the Food Studies Program is interested in working with us, and we're going to reach out to Pima Community College um, for their Culinary Arts Program as well. We've been speaking with um, GUT, which is the Gastronomical Union of Tucson, and it's a wonderful... Hey, wait, they're, they're really called GUT? They are called <laughs> GUT, and they're just this wonderful group of innovative chefs in Tucson, and um, you know, we want this whole block to be food forward and an opportunity to have our chefs and our food shine. This feels kind of like it's in a dream come true territory. Would you say that's true, Monica? I think so. Um, it's one a real honor to be trusted with what is community property. You know, this is owned by the taxpayers right now. You know, I'm a Tucson native, and I fundamentally believe that um, Tucson, Arizona, is sort of the largest city, the capital city, if you will, of one of the most interesting regions in the world, that being the borderlands region, southern Arizona, northern Sonora. I think our ecological biodiversity, our clearly culinary heritage, our demographic diversity that people don't know a lot about, our long history, and that we are going to be able to tell one facet of that story is an honor. It really is. It absolutely is an honor, and we want people to come experience the city of gastronomy on our site, feel more proud of Tucson than they did before, and have visitors understand why they should be coming here over and over again. My guests were business partners Monica Lane and Randy Dorman. Their current timetable for the project is about 18 months. I'll be sure to keep up with the changes coming to the north side of Broadway Boulevard, just west of Campbell, because I'm sure we're all interested in finding out what's going to be on the menu. The Tucson nonprofit Literacy Connects sponsors a group of performers and musicians. Called Stories That Soar, their mission is to help young writers realize the power and possibility of bringing their stories to life in other mediums. Next, we'll hear the tale of a family who decided to make a big move. It's written by Ariana, a fifth grader at Cragen Elementary in TUSD, and it's based on a true story. Hi, my name is Ariana. I'm in fifth grade, and I'm going to tell you about when me and my family moved to Tucson. One day, I was living in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Wisconsin Public Radio, 10 degrees outside this morning. The weather was 10 degrees, and when you breathed, you could see white smoke coming from your mouth. <sighs> Suddenly, my mom screamed. Oh, I hate the cold. <sighs> and all of a sudden, we were in a truck loaded up with all of our belongings headed to Tucson, Arizona. At WPR.org slash Route 51. Fasten your seatbelts and turn up your radio. We're going on a road trip. I get the window. You and Ariana always get the window. I want the window. We're older. So what? The ride here was filled with kids yelling and the baby crying, but no worries. I was able to put on my headphones and tune everything out. Now, finally, quiet. Hmm. 
I'm Susanna Sitek for Arkansas Public Media. I saw them first. I saw them at the same time. Did not. Ariana, look at all the cows. Get it. Cows. Whoa. I was able to see cows, cows, and more cows. Look, another cow. And a white cow. And a brown cow. And, and, and another cow. I see more cows than you. Look, Ariana, more cows. Got it. Cows. I assume Tucson would be filled of cows. But no, it was just Arkansas. All of a sudden, the worst smell I smelled in my entire 10 years of life. What's that smell? I think it's the baby. It stinks. It wasn't the baby. It was the slaughterhouse. It's worse than the baby. Make it stop! After 20 minutes of trying not to breathe, we finally got far enough away from the slaughterhouse. Finally! I forgot to mention, we stayed at four hotels and ate at different places for food each day. Everything was going good until, boom, sparks of fire. My mom was clueless and yelled, Oh! Should we be seeing fire coming from under the car? My dad yelled. Pull over! Ah! This isn't good! We discovered we were missing a tire. No worries. U-Haul had fixed the flat in about two hours, and we were back on the road. There you go. You're all set. This is Philip Perriman in Amarillo in the High Plains Public Radio Finally, after three days, we made it to Tucson, Arizona. I began to see mountains and more mountains. This is Arizona Public Media. There is an excessive heat warning today through greater Tucson. The weather was like baking a pizza in the oven and leaving the door open. Why is it so hot? It's so hot. That's right. It's not 10 degrees, and I love it! Now, I go to Cragen Elementary, and I got to write for this cool program called Stories That Soar, where you can write about whatever you want. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. That's my story of moving to Tucson. The end. Moving to Tucson was written by Ariana, a fifth grader at Cragen Elementary in TUSD. It was produced by the team at Stories That Soar, with some voice acting from middle schoolers taking part in the Youth Center Summer Camp. During the next school year, Literacy Connects will be offering a free after-school program. Interested student-age writers can submit their stories now to the Magic Box Story Portal at literacyconnects.org. And maybe one day, you'll hear it on this show. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Thank you to De Grazia Gallery and the Sun Museum for their support of Arizona Public Media.